You're listening to episode 141 of the Writing Life podcast from the National Centre for Writing, a weekly podcast for anyone who writes. I'm Simon Jones. And I'm Steph McKenna. And it is the 1st of April 2021 here in Norwich as we're recording. And a big hello to all the new listeners because our listener numbers seem to have been going up quite significantly this year, mostly on your episode, Steph, where you're doing the interviewing. Well, what can I say, eh? I'm fairly confident it's got absolutely nothing to do with me and it's all to do with our brilliant guests, but um, (laughs) I'm very pleased nonetheless. So yeah, hopefully this episode will continue that streak. On the show today, we have writer Thomas McMullen talking about his book, The Last Good Man, which came out, I think, in November, towards the end of last year. And uh, I spoke to Thomas about the writing of the book, again, what it's been like bringing a book out in the middle of a global pandemic, and how the book relates to current news events. And it's a curious book because it's extremely ambiguous and kind of refuses to be pinned down in any particular direction. I think each reader is going to come at it from a completely different point of view. And I found myself kind of connecting all the dots to social media and political events like Brexit and Trump and those kind of thing. And Thomas is kind of resistant to being tied down to any particular theme. But the book examines the impact that writing in public has on a society and how people write about each other when they can do so anonymously. And it's really fascinating. Fascinating and slightly terrifying. Yeah, fascinating and slightly terrifying is a good description of the book. And it's it's a really great chat with Thomas as well. Um, before we get into any of that, we should probably cover a few items off on the news, Steph. Yes. Firstly, just to say that our City of Literature programme for 2021 at Norfolk and Norwich Festival will be revealed this coming Friday, the 9th of April. So make sure you head over to our website or to the festival's website, which is nnfestival.org.uk from the 9th, from Friday morning to check out the full festival lineup, including our very special literature events. I'm not going to reveal too much in advance because it's a very well-guarded secret. What I will say is after the very difficult year that we have all collectively weathered, our festival this year invites you to embrace and experiment with the unknown, the unusual and the unexpected. Please do tune in to see what we've got coming up. And in a couple of weeks' time, we will have the marvellous Peggy Hughes back on the podcast to give a better flavour of all of the wonderful online and in-person literature events we've got coming up. Nothing better than a Peggy cast. It is so true. A Peg cast. NNF this year is going to be exciting. It's it's a mixture of online and in-person events, which is intriguing and exciting that we're getting to the stage where we can actually start to do that again. Yeah, we've got some wonderful, really talented writers and artists of all kinds actually joining the lineup this year. So really, really excited to share it with you all. And Simon, who will we have joining us on the podcast next week? Yes, well, next week... We have special guest Neil Cameron talking about his comics writing for younger readers. And we also have Flo Reynolds returning to the pod to introduce the next in our book club reads. Going to do a little drum roll. Yeah, very exciting to find out what the next book's going to be. I know what it is and it is very exciting. Can confirm. I'm looking forward to reading it. So uh, much more about that next week. Okay, so let's head over to my chat with Thomas McMullen. Tom, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you. Very, very happy to be here. Looking back at your work, you've been a journalist and a freelance writer. You've worked in theatre, written some short stories, and now you've got The Last Good Man that has been published. And I was wondering, is writing a novel something you were 
always aiming to do? Why was now the right time to do that? Yeah, so it is something that I've always aimed to do. I've, I've, I've always wanted to write longer form fiction. This is actually the, the second, second novel, at least, that I, I tried to put together. Um, the first one didn't, didn't go anywhere in the end. But um, yeah, so I, I have tried for quite some time to, to, to write a novel. Um, and it's interesting you say why now. I guess, um, you know, the, the, the way just how long publishing can take it's it's the why now spans six years in some ways of trying to get it published and um you know finding an agent finding a publisher um so why now is i guess just because that process uh came to an end (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah that's yeah but uh, but i mean i i yeah i i i yeah i i've wanted to write um novels for some time I, i i think it's a a brilliant form um i very much enjoy writing like that and it's interesting that you say your first novel didn't get anywhere in the end because the last good man is it's such an assured kind of confident bold book that it doesn't feel like a debut but do you think writing that first novel helps you get to where you are with the last good man oh thank you it's very kind of you to say um but yes, definitely. I think, um, I mean, my, my dad always says that things tend to make sense in hindsight. I, I mean, it's a comforting thing, I think, to know. So, you know, to, to your question there, you know, that you'd, you'd like to kind of paint a narrative of, oh, yes, I kind of, you know, uh, tried and failed, but then learned from that. I mean, <laughs> I think, you know, it's probably a little bit more chaotic than that. I mean, the, the certain things that maybe reverberated with the agents or whoever I was sending it to with the first book, um, you know, didn't, didn't kind of happen as much maybe in that instance. And then it was the second book that's, you know, just right time, right place, maybe certain things happened there. But I think for me as a writer, there was definitely a, um, a kind of process of improvement. I think, um, I think uh, I, I maybe, I think this is probably quite common I'd imagine for, people when they write a book the first time to try and maybe take on too much um, to try and write about um, quite a lot of things then ending up this is something I always end up with and always try to avoid but a hat on a hat um, you know try and try <laughs> just just a tower of hats um, was probably the first novel um, and then I have I, I learned to take those off until you, you end up with what the story is about um, you know, and kind of breaking it down into its core. And that, that is definitely a process that um, I, I think I kind of got to with, with The Last Good Man. Yeah, it's, I find it really interesting that you're saying it's, you know, this kind of six-year process of start to finish and actually finally getting the book out in a published form because the temptation reading it is to draw all these parallels and comparisons uh, with you know real world events, uh, is it about this? Is it about that? And the book kind of resists being pinned down or being too specific about its its themes and metaphors. And the fact that it had you know that lengthy process of creation, I suppose, kind of defies some of that because you know in my head as I'm reading it, I'm thinking, oh, this must be about this. But you know, if you wrote mm. it over that period, then it can't be about that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess it, I'd imagine that that's something all authors want is that a book that is picked up at any time, people are like, oh, this has to be about this moment, even if it was written in the 18th century. 
um, I, I'd imagine that that's something a lot of authors aim for, that sense of, um, you know, the, the reader always being able to bring something to it um, so that it only seems that book could have been written for this current moment. Um, I mean, I guess with this book in particular, um, yeah, I, I it's all, you know, I, I wasn't aware of all the <laughs> like coronavirus and all of the, the <laughs> slightly more apocalyptic uh, stuff going on uh, in the last year or so. Well, you know, that wasn't um, around when I was writing it. Um, I just kind of, having kind of um, come from writing journalism where there's a much kind of tighter turnaround and you're normally writing to a story, you know, that is maybe, you know, kind of hanging around for a couple of weeks. Um, it's, it is a totally different kind of pace writing books, I find, where, you know, what is happening at the time that you're writing the book most likely won't be happening um, when when the book, if it does, goes to market. Um, and, and that, I mean, that's interesting. It's freeing in a way, um, but it makes it very difficult because it feels to a degree like the ground is always shifting um, when you're trying to write um, and I, I guess there's a danger there in kind of pinning a story too much to a certain thing in the present. I mean, I mean, you know, not to say that you can't do that. I mean, you know, Ali Smith, you know, obviously was, that that was her kind of project with these last novels that she's been doing, kind of reacting to what was happening in the present. Um, but just, just I think an awareness that that that, that things that seem so important when you're writing the book um, within a few months can kind of drop off from the things that people are talking about, you know, in the same way that I guess what we're talking about now, I mean, you know, I, the, the kind of impact of coronavirus feels like it's going to be enormous um, and it will be something people talk about, but they will be talking about it in a different way. Um, so, so, you know, someone reading a book in the next five years will probably bring a whole different kind of context to, to what it, whatever it is on the page. Yeah. It's interesting that that, that kind of, built-in lag not only to you know the writing of a book and then the publishing of it makes it very difficult to to respond to current events in in the way you might want to perhaps um were you ever more tempted were you ever tempted to kind of get more specific and and make the book more directly about you know xyz or was was it always the intention that it would be this slightly ambiguous thing that is left to the reader to interpret yeah it's a strange one i get asked this quite a lot and um, I, I think, I mean, the most kind of honest answer is that I, it's just, I guess, how I, the instinct of how I kind of want to write things. Um, this, the idea of that ambiguity and, you know, pe- people bringing their own readings and understanding to stuff. It, it, it just feels like quite a natural um, way to go about a story, um, for me at least. Um, and I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's just kind of, you know, kind of, being brought up with certain, I don't know, like Samuel Beckett. And I, I'm always drawn to writers that don't explain things, um, that present you with something, um, something, whether it's an image that is just so powerful that it eludes um, being pinned down into one specific kind of meaning. Um, I don't know, I always admire that. And I think that that's something I quite enjoy. Um, in in writing the 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 space that is given for a reader to um, bring their own sense of meaning to it. I mean, in terms of yeah, the last good man. Um, I guess that the, there's a, the the thing maybe within that I found is that there is a point at which um, you can only kind of go 
so far in that space of ambiguity um you need to give someone something you need to give them something to kind of hold on to you know some type of anchor um so it's it's i guess particularly within a novel it's interesting like with a play maybe you could present just a visual image you know that that wouldn't need to be explained i guess when you're watching a play there's an understanding that there's nothing outside of on some level there's an understanding that there's nothing outside of the stage so you can kind of suspend disbelief but with a novel there's when you read it maybe you have this sense of looking at what is beyond the stage um you know wanting an understanding of the wider world i, I so i you know there, there is a struggle there that you're trying and trying to thwart that in some ways um or kind of at least play with the, the reader's expectation of that i guess on stage you're slightly more in control of the pacing and the, the audience's attention in a way whereas with the book it's very individual to each reader and there's more space for them to think and to want to fill in those gaps and kind of explore away from what's on the page. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think, um, I guess it's, you know, people will, whatever the case, fill in those gaps. Um, I just, I quite enjoy making it just, just resisting the need to fill them in myself sometimes. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, gravitate towards kind of genre fiction and science fiction where a lot of the time it is about detail you know there's a there's a whole kind of subgenre of sci-fi that revels in the world building detail um which is something that you know i i enjoy to a degree and reading the last good man my initial response was like oh i want to know more about what's going on why is this like this how what's happening in the city what's happening over here but then as the book kind of sucks you in it does it works so well to not know that stuff because it contributes to the whole atmosphere of, of the story you're actually telling and that, that kind of sense of claustrophobia and, and not having that kind of widescreen picture of what's happening. Yeah, no, uh, no, definitely. I think, um, yeah, it's this idea of lore as well, isn't it? You know, whether, whether that's in mm. video games or, or science fiction or, but the, the idea of um, kind of tying tying stuff up um there's a there's actually with video games there's a series that i very much like called i think it's the dark souls series by this um mm, there's a japanese yeah. but that that in in those games you're kind of presented with a vague understanding of what you're meant to be doing um but there's all these kind of hints and clues of you know a wider story that that is that has kind of happened in the past or is kind of happening concurrently um but none of it is made explicit um and i think that that the creator of those games has spoken about watching um, English language TV when he was young and not really understanding what was happening on the screen, but kind of filling in the gaps of the story himself. Um, so I, I, that, there's something nice about that, the idea of um, kind of getting bits and pieces of a story um, and then you know making your own version of events. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that my, my temptation talking to you today was... To, to have a big list of like, is it about this? Is it about this? Is it about this? Um, and I've, I've, I've resisted that as best as I can. Um, I guess in terms of something that is so open to a reader's interpretation, have you had much of a chance to hear from readers about different takes on the book? Because I guess at the moment, due to COVID-19 and lockdowns, there aren't kind of more traditional book events where you could maybe meet and interact with readers. But is, is that something you've been able to experience at all? Yeah, I guess not. No, not really. I mean, it's been, a, it's just, I mean, I have no point of comparison because this was the first novel, but it does feel very much like it's just kind of been plonked into the void. 
Um, and, and then I haven't really had, I haven't even been able to see it in a, in a bookshop. Um, so, you know, the, it, it, it feels kind of quite unreal that it exists, um, to, to be honest, kind of outside of my bedroom. Um, <laughs> so I haven't really had it. I mean, I've spoken to some friends um, ab- about it, but in terms of just kind of chatting more generally with people, yeah, I haven't, I haven't really had that opportunity, which is, which feels like something that, uh, yeah, I really miss. Um, I mean, I, I don't have a point of comparison, as I said, but I, that, that was something I'd really love to have. Um, but, you know, I kind of, I try and avoid, I, I made a decision not to go on any of the kind of good reads or um, stuff like that. Um, to, to look at kind of the reviews people wrote, but I, you know, I'd be more than up for happy discussing it with people. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'd be curious to see, yes, yeah, so like what people think um, of different stuff, or, or you know, what what they brought to the story, or what different things reverberated with them. But yeah, I haven't really had that opportunity yet. No. I suppose thematically it kind of fits with the book in some ways in that you kind of you've heard rumors of what's happening in cities in, in bookshops but there's there's no real proof and you can't really go and check yeah. it. Yeah yes no, yeah exactly it's yeah it's slippery. And in terms of you know you mentioned avoiding uh, the goodreads rabbit hole um is is that part of for me it kind of resonated with internet social media how seemingly inconsequential words that you stick online can then have drastic ramifications elsewhere um and is that something do you steer clear of social media goodreads reviews kind of commentary like that online generally um well i mean i guess there's a few things there i mean in terms of goodreads and that that's that's i guess purely just um i don't know i i yeah, I'd, I'd rather not know in some ways. I mean, I should probably engage with it more. I mean, if, if people reach out to me and engage with it, but I think it is, like you say, a rabbit hole. I think um, I just know that I wouldn't be able to help myself and that if I started looking at it, I'd, I'd want to look at it every day. And then, you know, um, it's just, it'd be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Um, but in terms of social media more generally, yeah, I mean, it's, um, yeah, I mean, obviously a lot of those ideas are kind of, um, floating around with the book in terms of, yeah, how, how we think about discourse and how we think about um, broadcasting and publishing um, what we say um, and the avenues and platforms that allow us to do that. Um, personally, I, you know, I'm, I'm on Twitter. I don't really say a lot on Twitter, but I, I just awfully addicted to looking at it and find it very difficult um, not to, while I'm working on a computer, kind of flick onto Twitter. Um, and it's awful. And I know it's awful. And, you know, I, I considered maybe just getting, you know, kind of getting rid of it completely. Um, just as, a, you know, the kind of the, the mental effect. I can only speak from a personal perspective, but, yeah, it's, it's uh, kind of it's tyranny over my attention. Um, mm. is, it feels quite, quite total at times. Um so yeah, so that that you so I mean you know I guess uh, you know it's uh, you know I'm not better than it you know it does it's 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 part of my life these things. Yeah, I think I had this this lovely kind of one or two month period at the start of 2020 where I, I managed to actually like divorce myself from Twitter, um, and I, it was lovely. <laughs> I was kind of in my own little bubble. It was it's great, um, but without having you know that constant not only kind of time suck, but a, a, attention grabbing, and you can't think about other stuff. And then suddenly you've spent half an hour 
doom scrolling without even realizing it. Um, but then <laughs> COVID-19 happened and I think my usage of these platforms seems to scale according to how, uh, how extreme events in the world are. And it kind of draws me back in, in a way, because for some reason, mm. I think that that's the place to go and see what reactions are. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, but the, the, you know, the, the difficulty is it can also be very useful. You know, it, it does provide, you know, I've, I've got lots of very important information through social networks, um, you know, all being alerted to things. Um, so, you know, that, you know, the, it's, it's, it's such a complex discussion around the extent to which, you know, these, these networks are insidious and um, kind of the, their architecture um, creates division, but then also at the same time kind of, you know, does, allow expression um and and pass information but yeah to bring it back to the book i mean that that contradiction is something that you you explore really well so the the, the sense of the wall this wall that kind of overlooks the village uh and people can write awful things on it uh, which have terrible consequences for for people but you know they can also write nice things and they can write messages like oh i've i've got something available if anyone wants it and <laughs> all these kind of like lovely cozy kind of parish council type things um but that like you say that contradiction of something like twitter can be incredibly useful and insidious simultaneously and kind of trying to wrangle that in your head is really complex yeah it's a headache right um yeah i know and it's i think these things not just twitter but i guess instagram and just you know across different social networks what, what i find really fascinating is the way in which they then um change the way you think about things so you start looking at experiences in terms of um whether it's the kind of social capital that you could accrue you know so you might look at a cathedral no longer in terms of its kind of just in terms of i don't know whatever you want to think about when you look at a cathedral um ask raymond carver um but uh, you no longer look at it in terms of that but you look at it in terms of how many, you know, what what other people are going to think, or you know, how this could look, or how this could see, this could look on my camera, in a way that other people um, you know, might say something or kind of have an impression of me, um, and that goes not just with images, but with um, kind of speech and um, you know, uh, writing as well. And I, you know, I, for example, as well, just in terms of my own writing then I've, I've found, you know, I'm, I'm working on a new piece now and um, I've, I've turned to writing on paper just because I found myself when I was writing on a computer um, somehow being infected by the, whether it was by flicking onto Twitter or not, but how people might perceive what I was writing um, mm. in terms of maybe making me too aware of an audience uh, before I'd even kind of, you know, written much. Um, and that just felt quite um, damaging. So, so I've, you know, with this more recent thing I've been working on, I've just been working on paper and that has been good for me so far. Interesting. Yeah. That kind of swaying of, of your personal opinion through the kind of mass opinion of, of the internet and the world, you know, when I find myself, if you know, there's some big political event that's just happened, you know, I, the temptation then is to, to pop onto social media to see what people think. And then that inevitably starts to kind of flavor your own opinion on things. Um, yeah. Which again, yeah. In, in the last good man, uh, the, the wall is doing that as well, where you have one person make one comment about somebody and then gradually everyone else starts piling in and then everyone agrees, even if it's awful and there's no proof and it's this kind of spiraling chaos, I suppose. 
But also, I think it's how you think of your own existence. I mean, just into, I think the act of, so in, in The Last Good Man, there's this idea that the appeal of the, the wall to, to Peck, Duncan Peck, is um, at least initially this idea, it feels like it puts him in his boots or it puts him in his shoes. It feels like he is, is, is um, like a body that is watched and there's something comforting about that in some ways. It's not just this kind of panopticon or this kind of idea of surveillance in a negative sense, but that, you know, by kind of being in the eyesight of this wall and, you know, this system around it, that it makes him feel part of something, um, part of a community, but then also part of his, his own existence and his own body being kind of woven into that um to that thing um i don't know and i just feel that 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 i find really fascinating that sense of being watched or you don't even need to necessarily write anything on twitter but reading it and kind of knowing that you can write things um or knowing that you are part of that community of watching um feels like there's so many interesting psychological maneuvers going on there um, that, that are both kind of appealing but also terrifying. Yeah, as I was reading it, it kept making me think of, uh, well, I kept kind of jumping to specifics, um, which I think the book kind of triggers off all these thoughts and ideas, even even when it's not at all being specific in itself. So I was thinking of Gamergate and Trump and Brexit and QAnon and all these kind of things, and my brain just kind of sparking off in all sorts of places. Um, and I was wondering in the in the kind of development and planning and writing of the book, did you have uh, kind of specific parallels and comparisons in mind, even if you didn't want to put them into the book? Or was it always uh, meant to be kind of, did you always keep it kind of more metaphorical in your head, I suppose? Yeah, I mean, it was, I think there were, there were definitely things that were, um, uh, you know, in the kind of news agenda when I was writing it and, you know, that, that all kind of fed into these larger kind of schisms in some way around, um, around the internet and you know um how we how we kind of talk on the internet or how we think about um communication that just you know over the last 10 years it feels like there's so much happened there you know whether that's in kind of yeah these kind of you know um post-truth you know stuff that gets kind of knocked around but you know the, the idea of how um you know the idea of how also just traditional broadcast media um its values and how how it exists um online but yes there were certain things like i mean gamergate you mentioned was definitely something that i was i think an early um kind of point of contact um for for some of the stuff that was happening in the novel i mean i was the 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 idea of people um kind of not largely anonymously kind of targeting i think it was in that instance there's largely uh, kind of female video games journalists and creators with kind of sustained misogynistic abuse and that that you know in some ways the way that then evolved into this kind of alt-right trump um uh kind of nexus um was i found that very interesting obviously very shocking as well um and that yeah that was definitely something that was in my mind um when i was writing the book um i wouldn't go so far as to say that was i guess trying to like a clear parallel because you know obviously that has its own um specific kind of um kind of 
politics and specific you know um you know there's there's a lot of I guess there's a lot of specifics within that that I didn't want to tie down into the novel um but that was definitely something that was going on when I was thinking about um thinking about some of the ideas behind the book um but then I guess with me I tried to focus on the characters then and kind of once this initial setup was in place um to, to, to focus on the characters existing within this system. Um, and then that kind of, you know, like I said earlier, I guess, you know, if kind of topics and different things were happening in real life, the, the idea of the characters were kind of anchor for me that I was then able to, um, you know, keep the story evolving through them rather than whatever the, the kind of shifting um, state of um, the, you know, communicate shifting kind of topics of communication in the internet on, um, that were going on at the time. Yeah, I guess you could have tied yourself in knots if you were trying to keep up <laughs> in some way with modern modern events, um, whereas the characters gave you an anchor in, in the specific story you were trying to tell. Yeah, that's right, yeah. I mean, something I found fascinating as well, given that pers- my personal interpretation you know, connects it to so much in terms of technology is the absence of technology in the book as well. Uh, it feels like quite a clever thing to write something that seems to comment on something when there's a complete absence of it <laughs> within the setting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, technology is an interesting one because I guess there is technology, but I think when we say technology, we mean, I mean, we mean digital technology. We mean, you know, we, we right, mean the yeah. internet. But I guess it's, it's, it is an interesting one because, you know, technology in a wider sense, there are kind of questions or about how you know, like paintbrushes are a technology or, you know, a shovel is a piece of technology. I guess it's the the way in which our behaviours, the extent to which our our kind of behaviours are modulated by the technology or or the extent to which we have these kind of underlying impulses that technology, whether it's a paintbrush or whether it's the internet or a keyboard, can kind of express in different ways. You know, is is there something um, that continues you know, beneath both those things. Um, so yeah, I don't know. So that, that I was kind of interested in, I guess, looking at those impulses, but then yeah, separating them from, um, yeah, from, from a particular type of technology, you know, because it feels like there's something, because while there is a lot of unprecedented things that have been happening about, you know, speech and, um, you know, uh, discourse and communication over the last 10 years, you know, that in some ways they're quite old as well. I mean, you know, there's 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 many historical instances of, um, you know, people group justice or people kind of anonymously writing about each other. You know, from like the Venetian post boxes to um, the kind of the, the Chinese big character writing that was that was another kind of touch point for me. Um, so I kind of wanted to play with some of the timeless aspects of the dynamics that that were in the book. Yeah, because that was something that you encountered when you were teaching in China is that right yeah so it I mean it was something that I I guess it was made aware of I mean it's largely a historical thing I mean the the kind of big character posters were um it was mainly a thing during the kind of cultural revolution um where people would be um would write um uh posters they'd kind of put posters up you know um as a kind of form of um uh, kind of protest writing and as a form of also public denunciations um you know and it led to some kind of pretty nasty things i think you know in one case uh, 
a quite famous case. There was a school teacher that was kind of beaten to death by her own students um, after after they'd kind of written about her on the walls of the school. Um, you know, and th- but this th- this is all quite historical. This is stuff during the Cultural Revolution. Um, but when when I was I was teaching in China at university, and I kind of learned about this and was really fascinated by it. Um, and you know, there, there was where I was teaching in university, which was a brilliant university. I, I really enjoyed my time there. Um, but there, it, it, it was more that there was, I think, a um, there was a uh, there was like a photocopier room or something where um, there was kind of graffiti on the walls, basically, and um, it, it transpired that it was you know it was some something in connection to this. It was a kind of small modern equivalent, but not in any way formalized or in, you know set up by the university. It was very much just people writing graffiti about each other, um, but it had this connection to this kind of um, this yeah this this form of writing that that yeah during the Cultural Revolution was you know, it became quite monstrous. Uh, to get down to sort of nuts and bolts a little bit, I was curious about the kind of the balancing act you had to pull off in order for to have, you know, we were talking earlier about the, the notion of law and world building and what have you, but you had to get enough in the book that it did pose these questions and that readers had enough to kind of grasp onto to, to start thinking about whatever their personal interpretation was but without kind of overplaying your hand and putting too much detail in and potentially restricting uh, those interpretations. And I was wondering how, how much of a challenge it was to kind of hit that balance. And is, is that something that came quite naturally? Was it something that took uh, quite a, you know, a phase of editing to kind of get the right amount of information in there? Yeah, so I think my my tendency would be to, in some ways, provide even less. So it would be to, I think, in an earlier draft when I was working with Bloomsbury, um, uh, there there wasn't even a sense of the what there wasn't anything about outside of the village. It was purely the village, and you you didn't really have a sense of anything outside of it. Um, and then I kind of threw a process of editing. You know, it's like, come on, we have to give them something. <laughs> <laughs> to give them something to hold on to, so it was that the, you know you do get these bits in um, the city, um, and and also a, a greater sense at the beginning, um, kind of in the in the opening chapters of where Peg has come from and what the situation is like there. Um, but you know, I think so that that you know that's a learning process, isn't it? I think you, maybe I'm maybe a bit too cruel, and um, yeah, <laughs> I, I I really like the idea of just this kind of closed. Again, a bit like a play, a bit like, you know, the, the reader, you know, sees what's on stage and maybe has an idea of what's off stage, but really you're just dealing with what's in front of you. Um, whereas I think, yeah, to, 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 you can still do that, but it, it helps to, um, you know, you want to, you don't want them, I think too many ambiguities and then it all falls apart. You need to have, you know, if, if you're drawing essentially a kind of ghost of a structure, you need to have a few pillars that are actually there. Otherwise it's just a wispy air. Um, so, so it's kind of, you know, putting enough lines in place that someone can kind of, um, you know, look at it and be, you know, kind of make out something. Um, so yeah, it is a balancing act. I mean, yeah, like I say, I think my tendency is to give less. Um, but, um, but yeah, I also see I also see the need to um, yeah provide something for the for people to hang on to, and I think a really good way to do that is detail. I think um, because you can still be really ambiguous about a um, you know the politics of the world or you know the, the 
the state of the country. But if you go into great detail about what a particular cup looks like or someone's boots, that that is also, I think, a form of it's something to grasp onto as a reader. That's that's some stability, and I think it's just providing um, enough stable ground that the reader is able to at least kind of stand upright and not feel like they're completely um, tossed about from one side to, you know, you need, you need to provide kind of little islands. And I think that, yeah, detail, graspable things, or, you know, also just like humans doing things that are quite real and tangible, um, I think is, you know, that that's really important. That's a, that's a way to give that stability to a text. Yeah. And especially because a lot of the, the village life that you depict, a lot of it is, it's quite mundane and quite ordinary. Um, you know, there's scenes where the characters just go to the butcher to get some meat, <laughs> this kind of thing. Um, but yeah. there's always this this kind of undercurrent of, of threat. So on the one hand, you've got this this cosy English village, which you know sounds like it's quite nice to go on holiday to, and then, and then you've got the, the wall kind of towering over it, and and this kind of strange kind of mob justice thing just lurking out of sight the whole way through. Yeah, and it's interesting, I guess, how those things can, you know, work. I, I, I'm, I am also another thing I'm interested in is how the, the kind of violence is woven into the everyday as well. Um, and yeah, the, the, it's not all kind of extreme emotions all the time, or or kind of horrendous things. Like much of it is much of much of the horrifying reality of um, these things is the 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 kind of continuing of the everyday, um, like whether that's going to the butchers or um you know um going for just a walk or kind of enjoying a field of you know barley i mean the, these these kind of tangible things um you know that it gives also a kind of point of it's something to kind of hold on to like i say yeah it's interesting that your tendency is to be more sparse and or cruel as you said it because i think most maybe i'm talking about myself here but most authors would tend to put in too much detail initially and then you know pair it back from there but you kind of come at it from the other end almost yeah yeah i don't know I, yeah i guess it's the i mean what i do like detail i think i'd rather like this is this isn't necessary in this book but you know i'd rather talk in a lot of detail about a shoe and then <laughs> like through that shoe allow someone to make all sorts of kind of, I don't know, all sorts of guesses or all sorts of inferences about, you know, a person rather than kind of spreading that detail around too much, like overloading it. So I don't know. I, I do like detail, I guess, you know, I do like kind of coloring in these things, but it, it, I guess it's just looking at the kind of micro, looking at those kind of moments. Um, also just detail, like one thing I really like in terms of detail uh, how people look at others or how a face kind of can contort in a certain way. Um, and it, I don't know, again, maybe there's something quite cinematic there or kind of filmic, but the, the kind of idea of a close-up and the idea of, you know, uh, what a face does. And, I, you know, I'd like to kind of be able to write that what a face does kind of tells you way more about a situation than two paragraphs of, you know, um, the, me explaining the state of the world could ever do um you know that's somewhere i'd love to eventually get to um and like i sometimes when i write i have like a little mirror by me and i just look at what my face does um if i if i try and say a line or if i 
try and think about a certain thing. Um, and that, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I do like detail. I guess it's just where I put that detail um, might might not always be in the kind of law or the kind of, you know, um, explicit world building. Yeah, I think in terms of the storytelling, it's kind of, it's interesting to contrast it with, like you're saying cinematic, but to contrast it with, you know, like the, an M. Night Shyamalan movie where if, if he was doing this, like the, the mystery of like, how could this be? What is, how did this village come to be? What's happening in the world? That would be the, the driving force of the story. Whereas that's not at all important uh, in The Last Good Man. You know, it's the characters and, and what is happening in the village that is critical, not kind of its context in the world, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah, I think this is real. We have a real tendency, and it's totally understandable, but to kind of want want to make things make sense, you know. And I think it, you know, it, it kind of takes so much out of it when you kind of want. I, I really get the kind of desire to make sense of something, to make this comprehensible, but it 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 kind of really reduces, I think, a lot of writing to a really kind of just like realist mode. Whereas, you know, in some ways, this book is it's like a bad dream or it's like an, a, a kind of the, the, the wall, you know, which is never really explained like where this like big art structure has come from in some ways that it's, it's like a psychological, it's like a physical manifestation of a psychological process. Um, and that is, you know, quite a non-naturalistic thing to say, you know, because we want a kind of tangible thing like, Oh, but that doesn't make sense. Like why would, you know, surely someone had to build this wall. I think it's just that, yeah, we, I don't know, I kind of, it, it feels like it's quite reductive a lot of the time, kind of trying to make a kind of logical cause and effect for things that happen in books, um, you know, whereas these are just, essentially, they're just a load of shapes on a page that we um, we, we look at and hallucinate. Um, so, I mean, why not, why not lead into the kind of mystery or the kind of dreamlike quality of, of, of fiction? Well, mm, I've I've enjoyed that a lot about it because it kind of shifts. It shifted my thinking away from you know trying to make sense of it and trying to put all the pieces together in some grand vision of the future or what have you. Uh, and instead, you know, when I'm reading it and come away from a, a session of, of reading some chapters, you know, your your mind is then going more towards the thematic stuff rather than you know obsessing over. The, the, the law detail of, of what may or may not be yeah yeah exactly i guess yeah i mean it's like you watch uh, I, I keep going back to plays interestingly but like you know you like waiting for godot um mm. you kind of look at that and you're not like oh but you know what made that tree specifically or maybe you are to a degree but you're not you know there's there's a there's a kind of acceptance of the fact that where they are like what the physical landscape is might not be totally real um or totally you know, um, as particular time and place, you know, it, it doesn't need to be, I mean, this is set on Dartmoor, so it does have a kind of anchor there that it, that it said where it was. I think an earlier version actually didn't say at all where it was. Um, but the idea then, you know, just, just, yeah, kind of giving space for kind of non, like just, just these kind of illogical spaces to exist. Well, I just have to go back for a second to your, your technique of having a mirror next to where you're writing because that's something I've never thought of doing and I think I'm going to have to start doing that because um, <laughs> it's something you see animators doing on movies where you know they've got a mirror so they can assist them with their, their animating of characters in the film. But for some reason, I've never considered doing that uh, to aid with kind of writing and, and description and faces are quite tricky things 
to wrap your head around because you intrinsically know everything about a human face. But if you're then sort of prompted to try and describe it, it's actually quite tricky. Yeah, 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 exactly. I mean, I don't, I don't have the mirror there all the time. I think that would be quite, yeah, that, <laughs> either vain or just really <laughs> off-putting. Um, but, but, but yeah, every so often, I don't know, I do find it useful. I guess like, using myself as a bit of a test bed, like, you know, I think a lot of writers say stuff out loud to see how it, it sounds. And I guess it, it's an extension of that. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I, I, I guess also it's not so much also just trying to describe, um, it's not just trying to describe the way a lip curls or, you know, someone squints their eyes, but it's also, I guess, the, the feel of, you know, how certain words can feel um, and, you know, kind of looking at the impact it has on the face. Like, how would this, how would this feel or how would this look to someone that was looking at me feeling this thing? Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't know. I, do, I do find it a, a useful thing. I mean, I do... I have a lot of admiration for people that do that use faces in in a way that both like describes but also feels really slippery like you never really get an idea of someone's face but for some reason I know exactly what their faces are doing or I know that that face fills me with a sense of terror but I couldn't tell you what color their eyes are um mm-hmm. as this Japanese writer I really like Kenzaburo Oe um and he I mean at least in English maybe it's just a translator it's really good but the the way that he, he describes faces is both it's kind of like people have faces that do all of the drama but at the same time i could never tell you what someone looked like i could never kind of tell you yeah how big their eyebrows are and i guess it's that kind of ambiguity as well it's like there's something ineffable that could be communicated without having to kind of anchor it to you know a particular eye color or a particular you know size of a nose um yeah i don't know yeah, it's very much when you're reading a book, you often have these kind of quite fragile constructs of the places and the people in it, where uh, for the moment that you're reading it, it feels extremely real. But yeah, if you had to interrogate that and then describe it to someone else, it's kind of, it's quite ephemeral, isn't it? Now, what do you imagine? So when you're reading a book, what do you like? Do you have a very clear, because people apparently do this in different ways, like some people you know, have a very kind of crystal clear image of a place. Some people have a kind of fleeting impressions. I'm curious, like when you read something, like what do you think about, to what extent do you make that image in your mind? I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a, quite a visual person. So I tend to try and imagine the settings quite vividly, I suppose, um, and have quite a clear sense, um, albeit in that kind of slightly shifty, almost just out of sight kind of way. Um, but I actually find it, in, sometimes I find it harder when an author goes into a lot of description and detail about mm. a location, for example, because I actually find that a lot harder to kind of wrap my head around. And it feels like if I don't fully grasp what they're trying to describe, then it kind of falls apart slightly because um, I feel like I'm not in sync with them, I suppose. Whereas when it's uh, less overtly described in the text, it almost comes alive more vividly for me. Yeah, you just want you want a spoon that is able to stir those kind of fleeting ideas enough, or at least kind of stir them in a, maybe a certain direction. But it's you know your your brain is that current. Your brain is the kind of stuff that is actually making those images. So that that's a kind of nice place to be, I think, as a writer, where you know you're able to maybe kind of influence that, but not 
kind of feel like it has to be, you know, a certain way or, or you know, over-prescribe it, like you say. That is interesting. So I, I feel the same. Like I, I also kind of, I, I, I sometimes get, yeah, I feel like I'm missing something if an author describes something in great detail that I'm meant to picture it in a certain way. Um, I feel like I've failed in some way as a reader, perhaps. <laughs> yes. It's just not, not to do, oh, I should, have, I should have known that or I should have, you know, oh, but my mind doesn't, I've, I've not seen this person in a certain way. Um, yeah, it's an interesting balance because then you also want to, you know, to what extent does the author then have control um, over how a reader sees something? Yeah, and it varies on medium as well, obviously, because if uh, if it's on stage, you get a bit more detail. If it's a, a movie, you get a ton of visual detail. If it's a comic book, that's doing very different things in that you get to portray exactly what people look like and a big landscape. And I feel like yeah, th- those those mediums naturally accommodate that stuff. Whereas in a novel, yeah, getting that balance of just enough information to have it actually work and make sense to the reader, but without kind of over prescribing, as you say. Yeah, I mean, I for me, when I read, it's you just see vague shapes or, or ideas of scenes kind of emerging from the dark and then disappearing back into the dark, and that that darkness in some ways is is interesting. It's like that you know the the I don't know this thing surfacing and then going back down. It, it feels like the reading a book is like watching. I don't know if at least to me it feels a bit like watching the kind of sea at night and you know seeing things come up and out of it maybe for a few seconds before kind of going back down below and that's such a strange process isn't it and then kind of you know reading is just such a strange thing to do but I don't know there's something beautiful about that yes yeah yeah the more you the more you try and think about it and to kind of grasp onto what your brain's actually doing while you're reading uh, particularly a piece of fiction it, it gets very strange the more you think about it yeah exactly in in terms of the the narrative as well you've you you write the book in the present tense uh, it's kind of a third person present tense which as far as i was i'm aware is fairly unusual like it felt unusual to me uh, in the way the story was told um it works really well because it gives this kind of constant unsettling sense of immediacy um almost as if you know as the author even you didn't know what was going to happen next kind of thing um yeah and you know it's a story about not about stuff that's happened that you're retelling to us but it's about something that is still happening in in a way and i was wondering why you kind of went with that choice in particular yeah i think i mean there's a really boring answer to that and that's that i i i started you know when I started writing it, I was kind of conceiving it in some ways as a, well, kind of like a screenplay or like stage directions. So, you know, the, the way stage directions are written, like, you know, you were doing this or like, the, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, it, it kind of was written in that form and then it kind of evolved out of that um, so, so that to become more a kind of more traditional uh, narrative in some ways. Um but I don't know. I kind of, I just quite enjoyed it. I kind of just fell into it, and then quite liked that immediacy or that closeness. Um, and it felt, it kind of, it felt like it fit particularly with this story. What we were talking about, with a sense of um, not knowing what's happening, I guess, in the wider world. It kind of helped me to kind of uh, fix the focus on what was right in front of the characters or what's right in front of the reader at any given time, because there's a sense of like the present moment. 
um, that yeah that, that felt quite useful. Um, it, so it, yeah, so I don't know. I kind of slipped into it, but it, it seemed quite it seemed to work. So I kind of just cracked cracked on with it. Yeah, yeah. I think it feels quite volatile as a as a kind of form of narrative. Like it's less kind of fixed, less of a fixed story that you're discovering, and, and more mm. that it's unfolding before you as you as you go along. Yeah, that's interesting. I like the word volatile. Why? Why do you say volatile? It feels like because it's in that present tense and it's happening, you know, as you're reading it, it's almost like as you turn the page, the words have just appeared just before you turn the page, um, rather than it being, you know, a, a tale that has been written down and it's in this book and you're now reading it and other people have read it before you and <laughs> that kind of thing. Uh, it, 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 I guess it ha- it's almost um, has a sense of maybe oral storytelling, like someone's telling you the story in that moment mm. um, and that, that feeling of almost anything could happen next, which again, when you've got those scenes in the book where it is more mundane, you know, when they're just in the pub or just having dinner and that kind of stuff, rather than, you know, that they never feel like they are mundane because there's this unnerving kind of volatility <laughs> around the edges of it, I suppose. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, yeah, I'd, I could pretend that was totally intentional, but no, um, yeah, no, I think, but it does, yeah, I think it, that is interesting, isn't it? I guess that, yeah, that sense of uncertainty as well. Well, kind of the, the idea of the ground not being fixed, um, kind of what we, maybe what we mentioned earlier, the idea of that shifting ground, um, you know, and in some ways, the, I mean, that that's one of the things that was really interesting to me when I was writing this was like, what are the things that we use as kind of islands of stability, you know, and language and names and words mm. and, um, you know, how, how, how we give structure to this kind of structurelessness. Um, yeah, I don't know that that was all going on there. So I guess it maybe fits with some of those ideas. Uh, in terms of like interpretation and obviously in talking to you now, I've, I've been kind of, uh, blurting out all my random reactions to the book. Um, <laughs> But because it because it's such an ambiguous story, ambiguous book, you know, it is open to interpretation, and and when you have something like that, it can be interpreted in any kind of way, and it can be interpreted in ways that, as the author, you could thoroughly disagree with. Um, you know, I, I think of uh, something like Fight Club, for example, where mm. you know, my reaction to it was that it was this kind of damning critique of a of a particular mindset. And other people read it and see it as a, a Bible of how to be. Um, and it's kind of curious that obviously at the moment, because of lockdown, you've not been able to you know, meet your readers in a, in a wider sense. But in terms of interpretations that you might find unpalatable, for example, how, how would you kind of react to that, do you think? Yeah, no, it's a really interesting question. I think, um, yeah, I have, I have worried about this and... I, you know, so when I was writing the book, um, I, I guess, okay, so so one thing is, yeah, the, in terms of that to a, a kind of wider sense, yeah, the, allowing that interpretation, I mean, you have to uh, give people space to kind of see what they want in it. But, you know, I guess with the Fight Club example, it's, 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 it's a kind of partial interpretation, isn't it? Because people kind of just focus on one thing without, you know, the, with the fighting aspect without looking at all of it. So I, I, you'd kind of hope that 
you know, if someone is able to make their own interpretation of it, they've read the whole thing. You know, they're not just kind of interpreting it based on a kind of secondhand sense of what the book's about. Um, but then also, yeah, with this book in particular, I mean, it's it's in kind of this idea of the violence of language in public places um, is kind of there at the, in the book. But I was very kind of worried kind of in the lead up to, pub- to publication that the kind of argue the kind of discourse around this had kind of shifted um and i didn't in some ways want it to be seen as i guess a kind of attack on this idea of like cancel culture or you know this Mm. this idea that that it's kind of oh it's it's just about you know this is a kind of nightmare of cancel culture and that and that you know kind of be taken up by kind of some some kind of crude arguments around that of how oh you know it's you know the left you know being all precious and stuff and you know blah 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 um so <laughs> I was, you know i was yeah so i don't know so but i was really aware of that and i was also aware that actually you know some of the stuff like we talked about uh, with gamergate earlier you know where you've got the kind of the the anonymity of these platforms um being used for this kind of horrible toxic misogyny you know that that kind of paints the idea of kind of writing in these spaces in a very negative light. But then, you know, again, another big thing that was happening since kind of writing the book was, um, you know, the Me Too movement, which, which you know, t- which which brought so much positivity in terms of challenging kind of patriarchal structures or systems of abuse by kind of writing either anonymously or anonym- anonymously kind of in public places. So, you know, that in some ways, there's some of the same mechanisms there, but used for, in some ways, the complete opposite. Um, and similarly, I didn't want to kind of, you know, have see the book be kind of, have the book kind of be seen as, um, you know, a, a you know, a, a sense of, oh, you know, this awful kind of internet people kind of saying what they want and that leading to kind of the persecution of poor, you know, sexists and stuff. Do you see what I mean? So this idea of <laughs> yeah. like, you know, the idea of kind of mob justice, I think is, you know, such a big topic at the moment, but, you know, I, yeah, I, I, I was, I was, I was basically worried. I guess the novel would be kind of taken in quite a narrow understanding of some of those ideas, and kind of seen as either being for or against one a very specific thing, um, which which wasn't the intention at all. But I guess that yeah. So I, I was kind of aware of some of those things, and and yeah, worried about you know how how it could be taken up. Um, but then I get, you do have to hope that like, you know, these, these kind of conversations and topics change and they sometimes change on like a week by week basis. Um, so, you know, the, the book I think is, is open enough that, that people can bring their own readings to it, but, but, you know, that, that will, you know, I don't think it's kind of didactic in any one sense, hopefully. Um, so you know, hopefully there's enough nuance there that people could kind of read certain things into it or kind of bring their own understanding or kind of bring parallels into it. But the, the book itself kind of is its own thing. You know, it doesn't it doesn't kind of profess to have one particular outlook on one of these ideas, you know, in such a kind of narrow sense. No. And I suppose also tonally, you know, the book, even if it evades kind of coming down to a conclusion as such but it definitely has a sense of wanting caution you know around you know public words and whether whether they're anonymous or not it's you know that's 
feels like that's a big part of the book, which is that, you know, it's not always as simple as it looks and that it requires some careful thinking where you don't, because to take the Fight Club example, you know, part of that book is making, it deliberately makes a lot of what's happening in the book seem extremely appealing up until the point when it isn't. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, whereas, yeah I mean, the last, last Good Man, you've got that kind of undercurrent of, of threat, which, you know, even if it doesn't become always specific, it you never feel comfortable reading it. You know, there's, there's, yeah. it's rare that you're reading it and thinking, oh, this, yeah, I wish there was a village I could go and live in that's just like this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess that's, no, that's a good point. I mean, it doesn't have that. I mean, there, I try and communicate, I guess, a bit of the, the seductiveness of some of these systems because so, I also didn't want the kind of idea of, I mean, obviously, the idea of this kind of public shaming is awful, but, you know, there is a kind of, the the, the community in some way isn't entirely negative. You know, there are things mm. that in the community that work, but then it's, it's also, you know, it's still based on this really horrible system. So, I mean, there's not really a simple answer there in terms of, I think, you know, it's like the good, I mean, in the title, I like the word good because it just feels so hollow. Um, and it, it feels, you know, the idea of goodness is... Um, you know, it's never one thing and it feels like such a simplification. So it's like, is this community good, you know, that that that, that we see in the novel? You know, it's never one thing. So I guess, yeah, so I, I wasn't, I, I didn't want to kind of present, yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, you, you mentioned kind of discomfort and I like that. I guess I wanted ideally, yeah, that level of discomfort to kind of run through it. So there's never one kind of, yeah, thing that's presented as a kind of comfortable way of living that, that everything is, um, kind of mixed up with these um, quite complex and difficult um, things that are going on. Just to to bring us back to the real world, uh, which is still you know a lockdown <laughs> world that that feels uh, like it has that undercurrent of threat, to, <laughs> like in the book somewhat. Um, but I was wondering, you mentioned earlier that you know the book came out uh, late last year, I think, and. Uh, there's certain things that you couldn't do just because the world is in lockdown and bookshops are generally not very accessible. But what was it? What's it been like, kind of having the final stages of publication during such a strange time? Yeah, I mean, I don't really have a. I mean, it's been a bit shit in some ways. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just. Um, I mean, it's. It's. I mean, I don't have a point of comparison, but. Um, I mean, it's, 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 I'm so like, I, I feel so happy that the book exists and it's out in the world, but it feels so kind of disconnected. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to be able to see it in a bookshop and hopefully I will at some point. I mean, you know, ev everyone's kind of, people have made sacrifices. Everyone has made sacrifices in different areas. So it feels kind of ridiculous in some ways to kind of moan about a book, you know, not, not, you know, coming out at an opportune time. But you know, it's still you know, it's it's still a weird. It's 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 a um, it's just a weird time to be putting it out. I think I guess it's what I find really interesting is that you see also stories of book sales doing um, really well more generally, um, and I guess there's this real sense of disconnect between you know you don't you don't really have. But I guess if bookshops were open, you'd have an idea of a, a kind of thing that has been worked on existing in the world, you know, existing in the world. But when you don't when you don't have that kind of tangible, tangible kind of physical sense of a book existing in the world, it's really hard to tell how it's being received or just to imagine that people are reading it. Um, you know, um, 
let me just try and think, I guess, try and articulate what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I suppose in some ways you have to kind of rely on your publisher emailing you to tell you that the book exists <laughs> in yeah. a way because you, you can't have that kind of physical evidence. Yeah, I guess the one thing that I'd really, that I really, you know, maybe hopefully it will come at some point or, or with future books, but is that sense of contact with people that are, write, that are reading it. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, you can do that online, but there's something just nice about going to a place and doing a reading or just like having a chat with people about that or like meeting other writers and other, you know I, th I think it, it feels quite um just weirdly quite lonely i think put, putting a book out at this time um um but then i don't know maybe it's always like that maybe maybe i think some of the things that you know you're probably feeling now having put a book out would always you know would always be the case um i guess they're just kind of heightened a little bit because of you know this this kind of current situation um but you know i mean it's 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 you know i mean people are still reading you know it's i think if it was a if it was something like you know play or a film then you know th there's a sense of those industries completely stopping to a degree um so so books i think are an interesting one because they actually have done quite well you know people have been reading quite a lot um so that that is something to be thankful for i think as a writer but um but it does feel it i guess it's that sense of disconnect it feels quite um yeah, it just feels like a kind of disconnect. And I think as also for kind of debut writers right now, it's it's kind of particularly hard because I think although people are reading, I guess the brilliant thing about a bookshop is you can kind of wander in and you can stumble on something that you haven't, um, that, you know, that, that you hadn't heard about before, but maybe it's the cover jacket or maybe it's a recommendation from a bookseller um, could kind of put it in your hands. Whereas it, it does feel like a lot of those tool, like apparatuses kind of, non-existent at the moment and then because of that it, pu it puts a lot more emphasis i think on um you know these the, the kind of um whether the, whether it's reviews or whether it's kind of um kind of best of lists or you know to, to kind of make writers that don't have necessarily a profile stand out um so i don't know but then maybe maybe not maybe it's um maybe people are kind of you know people are still obviously getting recommendations it's just harder to see it's all kind of invisible you know and it happens kind of privately yeah no it's difficult we spoke to richard lambert who's another debut author um and his book was supposed to come out in march 2020 i think and then the publisher delayed it uh, to try and you know stay clear of lockdowns um for, yeah. for obvious reasons and then the, i think they put it out in october just as we went into the second lockdown yeah um, and it's kind of yeah this just inescapable difficulties that everyone's facing and no one's quite sure when it's going to come to an end. I mean, did, did your publisher think about delaying it or shifting it or, or was it no. you know definitely going to come out when it came out? Yeah, I think they'd always planned for it. In no so it came out in November last year. And I think um, that, that, I mean, different publishers had different approaches. I think Bloomsbury, their approach was to kind of keep with the, um, the, the kind of calendar as they, they had it planned um, you know, which may, I guess you don't like, you know, you, you could delay it like that example you gave to October, but then you don't know what's going to happen in October. Um, mm. So it was always going to come out in November. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you, you, you have no, it's out of your control, isn't it? So there's only, you know, you go mad if you kind of <laughs> kind of think about what ifs, but I mean, you know, I mean, it, 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 you know, I was very lucky. It, it has been kind of well reviewed. It's been well received and, you know, there is a sense at least of it, getting some profile but i think it is just so difficult at the moment 
um it's it's you know i think um it's just difficult to get that sense of i don't know sense of profile and sense of kind of people talking about something um whether it exists or not um so I don't know. Yeah, November November was the time it was due to come out, and that's when it came out. And in terms of the next book, you you mentioned you're working you're working on it, and that you're doing a lot of writing on paper away from the computer. But how how have you found working on that in in the midst of lockdown and all these unusual distractions that are happening in the wider world? Yeah, it's so. I mean, it's early early days on it. I mean, I um, I think I kind of thought I was doing, I, I kind of got quite far in terms of a draft that I was trying to put together, but then I think I was rushing it. I think I was, I think also it's something interesting after, because it's it's not just in the context of lockdown, but also after kind of having a first book out, you're like, right, okay, I want to kind of keep the momentum and write a second book. Um, and then there's an extent to which maybe it, it encourages you to kind of rush or feel like you have to kind of put something out you know, to kind of keep a sense of momentum, which is always really kind of illusory anyway. Um, so I've kind of now I've taken a, I'm taking a kind of, you know, I'm still working on it consistently, but I'm trying to take a kind of slower approach to it, like not not try and rush a, um, a kind of final thing. I'm, I'm kind of letting the writing um, do its own thing a little bit more. Um, but yeah, working in the kind of midst of all this, uh, yeah, it's tricky. It's difficult. I think it's also uh, taking it a bit slower is just also being a bit more kind of myself. I mean, I, I think I overwork and um, I, tr- I try to realize that a lot of the kind of writing process process also happens, you know, not necessarily when you're actually putting pen to paper that it's, you know, it's always kind of computing in the background and to give a bit mm. more space for that. Um, just also not to feel like I'm, you know, have, having to squeeze out a thousand words a day, which, you know, it, it, eventually I think I'll get to the point where I, you know, give myself a proper kind of um you know kind of aim to write a certain amount but at the moment i'm just trying to let it percolate um also because i found myself kind of writing a bit maybe not too much about the current moment but kind of you know it's it's again this thing of writing about something you're in and you know wanting to kind of take a slightly slower approach to that yeah because i guess even your own opinion on current events could change by the time you get to the end of the book yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's not, it's, 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 um, like it's similar to the last good, I mean, it might, I say this now, it might be completely different in a, in a month or two. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's similar in some ways, but it's quite, it's a lot more, um, internal. I'd say it's a lot more, um, I mean, the, the last good man is quite plot based in some ways, you know, there is, there is a plot, whereas with this, I mean, there is, but it's, it's, it's much more psychological. So I, I'm kind of enjoying that. I'm enjoying playing with that. And again, I say that now, it might completely change, but um, yeah, I'm kind of really looking in the kind of detail with like a moment to moment thought. I mean, I, I reread recently to the lighthouse um, of Virginia Woolf and just, it's such a brilliant book. It's just, a, it does so much um, with very little happening you know, on a kind of, you know, action side of things. And I just really love that. So, yeah, so that's been a kind of touch point for some of the stuff I'm looking at at the moment. Great. Well, we'll have to check back in with you as and when that comes out, which will hopefully, hopefully it will emerge in a time when it's not the plague. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you, Tom. That's such a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate uh, all the advice and insight into your process and, and how the last good man came to be great well thank you very much Simon 
Thanks for listening and thanks to Thomas for joining us on this episode. Don't forget that as a UK registered charity, we rely on the generosity of our supporters to make our work possible. Please do consider making a donation to us, however small, by visiting nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk and hitting the button support us. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Writer Centre. Check out our Facebook page and join up to our newsletter at nationalcentreforwriting.org.uk. You can also join our Discord online community, which is completely free, and you'll find a whole bunch of people talking about writing, sharing tips and techniques, and taking part in writing sprints. It's a lovely place to hang out. That it is. Please do subscribe, rate, and review the podcast because it helps other people to find us. Thanks again. Keep writing, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Mm-hmm.